Hello, welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with George Ortega and Jamie Soden. And just before we started recording this podcast, we were talking about, you know, you know, animals and veganism and, you know, different documentaries and such. And because in the past four episodes of the Free Will, Science, and Religion podcast, we were talking about the belief in God and the attributes of God and all sorts of things like that. But in this one, we're going to kind of tie it into the belief about um, other animals, you know, non-human animals, and how might the belief in God, or lack thereof, affect our views of how equal we are with other animals or not. George, do you have thoughts on this? Well, I mean, you know, relative to, like, um, religion, I mean, what I'm aware of that in the Judeo, maybe Judeo-Christian religion, certainly in Judaism, there is there is a prohi- prohibition against cruelty to animals. You know, you're not allowed to be cruel to other animals. And then, you know, like there's in Judaism, you're not allowed to eat pigs because who knows? Maybe they understood that pigs are more intelligent than dogs. And, you know, why would anyone want to eat a dog? And then, of course, with the Hindu uh, religion, they won't eat cows. So that that's pretty much as, as much as I, you know, I'm, I'm aware of in terms of like, you know, our traditional religions and, and the treatment of animals. Yeah, it's very interesting. Now, see, from my perspective, the way I grew up is, well, you know, I grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian type Protestant culture, and everybody, um, you know, ate meat. I, I mean, I never met a vegetarian or vegan until, you know, my mid-20s. Um, and basically, here's what where it all began is that, um, you know, because of how I got into the abortion issue and then people are asking, you know, well, why is human life worth protecting when we when we slaughter and eat these other animals all the time? And they had a good point. And so I thought, well, what why would human life be any more valuable than anything else? And I came to the conclusion, well, I couldn't come with a valid reason, but the Christians, um, there, there are many Christians, they say, well, human life is more valuable because humans are made in the image of God, but the other animals aren't. And then, of course, my question is, well, then whose image are the other animals made in? That's a great point. That's and 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 why would it matter that that you know that, that we are made in, in God's image and the other animals and it's like as if they totally discount the fact that other animals feel pleasure and pain. Exactly, that's what we have in common with those other animals, and that's the whole issue of why I wouldn't want to do something to some other animal that I wouldn't want done to me. Um, and so yeah, this is an interesting thought, and yeah, really, why would it matter? Whether, whether some particular species of animal is made in the image of God. And, and you have to go even deeper as to what does that mean. Because now, George, I know, and everybody else knows who's been listening to this podcast by now, that you have a more pantheistic view, uh, God is the universe sort of a thing. So by that definition, that would mean we're all made in the image of God then, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. And it, even beyond that, like, you know, I mean, when when anything gets hurt, 
you know, it's actually the universe or God hurting itself. And why that should happen you know, is beyond me. Yeah, that seems like a very masochistic God. Yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, that, that's, that's hard to understand. But I know that um, as far as the Christians that I know, they say, well, humans are made in the image of God, but the other animals aren't, which implies to me that God is of a human species, the God that they believe in. That, I mean, that's, what, that's all I know how to derive from that. What do you think? Um, I don't know. Jamie, what's your take? Um, can you repeat what's being said, please? Yeah. Um, you know how Christians will say that humans are made in the image of God, and that makes them more valuable than other animals, but doesn't that imply that God is a human? Um, in some sense, yes, but it also um, shows what a bias uh, their God has towards other creatures who are also sentient, you know, and um, it makes me, it does make you think, doesn't it, why, why doesn't he have the same compassion towards um, animals as he does to humans? Yeah. See, here's what's interesting about it, is it doesn't seem to make sense, like, and it's like, because, you know, Christians and I think Jews and Muslims do view God as a kind of a, a person that has some mind, but that means that this, this God kind of has to be racist or speciesist, you know, because to favor humans over other um, animals or to favor men over women, which is another common thing, or to favor, like, say, the Jews over the Gentiles. That's, that was another thing that struck me particularly weird about the Old Testament, this idea that the Jews were God's chosen people, <laughs> you know, and the, and the other people are like, oh, they don't matter. But beyond that, beyond that, I mean, like, the, 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 the God of... You know, the Bible, uh, the Hindu God and all, you know, basically these religions believe in this, this hell. Even Egyptian religion before that or whatever, they believe that, you know, like, you know, that some of us are going to suffer eternally for our sins in this. Like, I mean, that's insane. Like to believe that, you know, that God is like, for example, as they believe all good and that, that God would condemn not just animals to this suffering here, but human beings to, to a suffering far worse probably than any, any animal suffers on this planet. I mean, it just makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, that this seems weird. Um, and of course, you know, this, this whole all good thing is kind of a strange thing because... Um, because, you know, we, we, like, the reason we call something good or bad is because of pleasure and pain, you know, that seems to be where it comes from. And, and here, here's an interesting thing, George, because, for example, um, the only reason that somebody would fear hell is because it would be painful, right? Absolutely. So what we're seeing is the hedonic imperative at play. People, they want to seek pleasure and they want to avoid pain. Therefore, when they're told by their religion that they have to believe a certain way, live a certain way in order to make sure they get the right afterlife, it's a powerful motivator, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, and you got to think of like their mindset back then. They didn't have the science. They didn't have the technology and all. They, you know, how, how were they supposed to know like, you know, what was what, what was real, what wasn't real, you know. I mean, like, 
you know, if, I mean, like, you know, you grow up in a tradition like that, let's say, and you're probably brainwashed by the time you're four or five years old to believe whatever, you know, the elders believe in all. So it's kind of understandable that they would, you know, develop these very, you know, what we would consider now such strange beliefs. Yeah. And here's what's interesting about it, George, is this this idea, the idea that you are rewarded or punished in an afterlife based on what you do in this life, that actually does have a practical matter. You know, it does have a practical effect on behavior, which would help reduce people from hurting each other in this life because they would fear being punished in the next life. So I, I think that that would work. Um, and I and I think that Hindus and Buddhists and Jains have like this belief in karma, like that something will come back to them. If they if they do something bad, then something bad will happen to them. If they do good, good will happen to them. Uh, and Chandler, it makes complete sense. I mean, back then they didn't have legal systems. They didn't have like police enforcement and all this this kind of like this criminal justice system we had. You know, they had to try to, they were, you know, it was probably well-intentioned. They say, well, if we, you know, invent these really horrible things that, you know, then people will behave better. You know, unfortunately, unfortunately it didn't work, but it was, you know, it was their, their you know, their incentive was, was, was proper. Was, it made sense, yeah. Yeah, well, what's interesting about it, George, is that in some cases it works and in some cases it doesn't work. I mean, if somebody tells you that you're going to go to hell for farting, that's still not going to stop you from farting, you know. <laughs> but um, to a large extent, um, the fear of hell, the fear of punishment by some god, it, it worked in a similar way as a deterrent, just as certain laws that certain countries have might serve as a deterrence. Like somebody, they may, they may not, um, they may not, they might not care about other people. They may lack empathy, but they don't want to steal somebody's car or they don't want to murder somebody because they're afraid of getting caught and being put in jail. So to a certain extent, I think sometimes it works. I'm, I, I ideally wish that nobody ever had to use a threat, some kind of fear threat as deterrence because I wish everybody was just nice and we all had a we all had a happiness pill or something. <laughs> You know. Yeah, well, that's where, you know, Mitch proposes this idea of a world without punishment. And I think that is where we're going. Because, like, for example, for most of us, we don't go out and, you know, kill people and just commit crimes because we're afraid of the law. We're, we don't do these things because we know they're wrong. You know, exactly. we have this. Yeah, so like I'm, I'm pretty sure within 100 years, 150 years, you know, the, the world will be like that. Absolutely. Yeah, because that's the deal. Is a, there are a lot of people like us that the reason that that we don't torture, the reason we don't kill and steal, is because we wouldn't want done to us, and we know it causes pain, and that's all we need. So, um, I think that, it, I mean, I don't know. Do you think it's possible for society to evolve to such a point where? Um, more, the majority of people were such that way that crime was extremely rare. I, I do believe it, and I'll tell you how and why. Um, basically, most, if not all, people commit crimes in an attempt to seek pleasure, to seek seek happiness. You know, you know, 
people like Steele to to have more people. Well, her people actually sometimes because of this nonsensical free will belief that we can overcome it all. But basically, it's like you know they feel good. You know that's what would prompt them to to do a lot of crimes. And here's the thing. So like. Imagine, you know, in a lab, like we've got amazing antidepressants, we have amazing ADHD drugs, all these anxiety medication, all this stuff. They work amazingly. Imagine some lab, you know, creates a pill, you know, minimal side effects, no side effects, whatever. And you take one in the morning and you feel like great throughout the day. You take one the next day, you take. So people live their lives like with this agent, kind of like a vitamin, you know. They, they, maybe they discover that, wow, our brain is lacking it, so like we provide it or whatever. I, in that kind of world, what incentive would anyone have to not just commit crimes, but really to do things that are um, morally wrong that, that even aren't criminal? Yeah. I mean, it does seem like happier people would have less reason to do crime. They would, they would – because you're right. In some way, they have to be seeking pleasure to do anything they do and that implies that they're not getting enough pleasure in their life absolutely absolutely that's why i'm excited you know california is going to vote on uh legal marijuana in 2016 and it's already passed in like four um states and dc and all you know i mean that i think you know um, um cannabis has some you know um, side effects, it has, you know, you can't, you know, it's like with alcohol, you can't overdo it because then it becomes harmful and all. But again, like, if, if people are, are you know, experience that in, in huge numbers and, and, you know, feel better, because, like, basically with, what's interesting about cannabis is they, they refer to it as a hallucinogenic. And sure, that's right, but you actually have to consume a whole lot of that for you for someone to like see things and, and hear things that aren't there you know that's like it's much more accurately defined as a euphoric in that it just makes you feel good so so yeah um i think we're our society's evolving in that direction and you know who knows how long it'll take but but you know hopefully it'll lead to the pharmaceuticals just creating something much more more safe and and powerful yeah, that sounds really good. I, I mean, I'd like to think that 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 such a thing happens. Um, what it, whatever it takes, whether that or whatever else there is that people can find pleasure in. Um, and see, now in my life, I mean, a lot of it was. I mean, I was severely depressed, like I've told you before. But that was because you know I was. I believed I was going to hell and all sorts of stuff. You know, I was stuck in that that um, belief that I deserve to go to hell and and all this weird stuff because I doubted my Christian upbringing and stuff so I thought I was gonna be punished and stuff you know so but so there was a lot less depression I was a much happier person in general since overcoming that and I think that you know as people overcome the belief in free will that the blame that that removes from people is is going to make them happier in general which is you know why we explain that to people on our podcast oh yeah i mean it i mean think about it let's say in, in, a, in a few generations i would guess that everybody's going to get this i can't i can't imagine it taking more than 10 or 20 more years for everyone to get it maybe another 10 or, or 20 to really you know to um to bring it into the institutions of the world, you know, to like to teach it in schools, to have religions founded on it, 
And when that happens, you know, nobody's going to have any logical, rational reason for blaming anyone else, meaning nobody's going to have any logical, rational reason for to want like vengeance against someone or revenge or to hurt other people, you know, for the reasons we do today. And the same applies to ourselves. It'll be it'll be so much of a I mean, it's such a powerful change in the world. You know, it, it just boggles my mind that, that actually the scientists, philosophers still don't really get how powerful a change overcoming free will would, would create in the world. Yeah, and here's a question. If we have a happier world with all these happier people, don't you think that would result in more vegans? Do you think there would be less animal killing and less cruelty? Absolutely, because why are people cruel? They're cruel because they're hurting. They're, they're, because, you know, because the free will belief also, like, you know, just maintains this society where people are blaming each other and hurting each other. So, like, you eliminate that, then people feel much, much better. And, and yeah, that will reflect itself in, in people just not being cruel to animals. And, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and I guess that's how, you know, how can we get people to be happier in general? Because we know that that automatically will demotivate them from causing pain to others. Yeah, actually, it, it just may happen. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate that we're going through this climate change that, you know, it seems pretty much faded to... Um, to get worse over these next decades. I mean, who knows? We may get lucky and, and you know develop some technology that we can't even dream of now that'll solve the problem. But you know, if that doesn't happen, then then I think our world may have to do with less. And when when you know, one of the problems with like our our having so much more than we need, or so many of us having so much more than we need, is that distracts us from what life is really about. I mean, a lot of poor people throughout the world. They're happier than a lot of people in rich countries because they don't have all those distractions. You know, they're you know they're you know they're spending time with each other and they're focused on on the happiness that life provides. Yeah, so, and it's an interesting thought because you'll notice that people are constantly you know seeking entertainment from something and they can't wait till the next football or baseball game to watch because that's where their all their entertainment comes from. Yeah, and that that you know I think we. That's been around for like a couple hundred years. I don't know how long, but like that probably started with with novels, with with fiction. You know, these like you know, people began to read books, and it was really promoted. You know, the, to get educated and read the classics and stuff. So now, like you know, yeah, a lot of people go through life living vicarious existences. They're just they're living their lives through other people. I mean, there's nothing horribly wrong with that, but I would think it would make more sense to just live one's own life instead of like a, a simulated life. Well, yeah. You know, I've always been more of interested in doing something myself. Like, I'd rather play chess than just watch somebody else play chess. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, here's another obstacle we face, George. Since we, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of in recent episodes, we've been on the God topic. How, um, since we're trying to get people to be happy, how can 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 you explain like how could a belief in God or lack thereof make somebody happier or sadder? Like how would it affect them? 
Oh, that's a good question. All right, that's it's kind of like a double-edged sword in a way because, like, on the one hand, you know, religions say, "Oh, God is like so loving. He's so good. He loves you. God loves you." So you have this like creator and sustainer of the universe that really cares about you, and you know that, um, and then he's prepared this place for you, like for you to be blissed out after you die and stuff. So people get that message. On the other hand, they get the message that but you know if you don't believe this and that and that if you don't do this then there's this other place where you're gonna like suffer eternally and and not just that but like god like if you do certain things like that you know god is portrayed as a very you know judge a mental you know severe you know punisher also so um i have a feeling you know that while you know the loving god makes people feel good you know, I have, a, I have a feeling like like with you, a lot of people are anxious because of this other side of God that religion promotes. Right. See, how I heard it was God loves you unconditionally as long as you meet this big list of conditions. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And so I find that it's sort of like, um, well, you know, kind of like free will belief has a tendency that, well, some people, they get a good feeling out of being in control of their life. They, they feel like they're in control of their life because they're ignorant of the causes that make them do what they do. So, but that feeling can be good. They feel like, I'm in control of my destiny. Now, they're completely deluded, but it might make them feel happy. But then there's the other side of it, George. And that's why we're against, you know, the belief in free will is because of the fact that it has such a big negative impact. All the blame and revenge that's caused by this, the, the, the idea that people deserve to suffer pain, you know, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth sort of mentality that results from free will belief. And so I find that, yes, sure, there's a happy feeling that some people get by believing in free will, but for every happy person, there is who believes in free will. There's going to be, you know, 20 unhappy people because of what the free will belief does to them. And I think even more than that, I think even the, the people who are happy because they, you know, believe that things are up to them, I think they're clueless in terms of how that belief just, like, limits their happiness, how they would be so much happier without it. Yeah, um, it's kind of like, you know, like, free will belief, it's kind of like, you know, being addicted to a very, you know, harmful drug like heroin or something yeah it might make you feel great but the downside is so much worse you know i mean like people people need to yeah you know, and again i don't understand how how psychologists especially who deal so much more with like with positive emotions and happiness and stuff than philosophers i don't get how they they it it still hasn't dawned on them how harmful this belief in free will is yeah, and you know, it's weird because there's no basis for free will. There's no basis for this idea of free choice um, anywhere in science. And it, it's incompatible with religion as well, you know, um, which is interesting because we call this the Free Will Science of Religion podcast. And the way I look at it is that um, you, you know, you would, you basically, from a scientific perspective, you would have to be the complete author of your genetics and your environment. You'd have to choose who your parents are, where you're born, what they teach you. So you have to exist before you exist and you have to choose um, your, the very state of your existence. 
sitting here, and we know that's impossible, but then religion comes with, up with this extra thing that everything is caused by God, and God knows the whole future, and the future is set, which creates an even additional barrier that, that, um, that is against free will belief. So you have to wonder, like, it's, it's weird enough, like, I find it weird when there's uh, just, you know, secular atheists who, who believe in free will, because I find that weird. But I find it even more strange that, um, that, you know, religious people who believe in a God that knows what will happen in the future, but they still think that they are free to choose whatever they want, including free to choose against uh, what, what God wants or whatever. Yeah, I think, you know, I, growing up, I think, like, it, 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 I think maybe it began to dawn on me how unintelligent, you know, so many people are when I, when I began to research happiness. Because I think, you know, this was like, you know, initially back in the mid-80s, but then in the early 2000s. And, like, what, what just dawned on me was, like, this is, like, this is, this is like, simple. This is, like, a no-brainer. I mean, happiness is so easy. Yet, like, it's not taught in schools. People don't really talk about it and stuff. And, you know, that was the first uh, clue. But now, now, you know, with, like, with they're not getting this free will thing, and much more importantly, in a certain sense, you know, they're not getting the importance of climate change, how serious it is, a threat to our civilization and all. They're choosing to, like, either not think about it or just, like, believe people who just make them feel good, but, you know, have no idea what, what, what the science is about. Um, it's unfortunate. And again, like the, 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 I, I keep on it when I, when I remind myself of that, I, I also have to remind myself that, wait a minute, you know, like it's not up to us, you know, it's not up to us how intelligent we are, how, how much we get and all. So then, you know, that just always brings it back to like, why is the world, you know, why is whatever created us? Why did whatever created us make uh, us, you know, so unintelligent in so ways that, that are so many ways that are harmful. Well, what's interesting about it, George, is I think the hedonic imperative has a tendency to create stupid people. This is this is kind of an idea, but I think it'll make sense to you. Basically, since believing that bad things are happening, you know, believing that bad things are happening has a tendency to make people less happy when once they face that, then they have a tendency to go into severe, deep denial about, you know, climate change or, or the animal cruelty, you know. They don't want to face those things because then they think, oh no, this is bad, and, they, and, the, and then their delusion of that this world is all pretty and sunshine and rainbows, you know, it gets shattered, and then they get depressed, and so then, because of that, they avoid thinking about it, and they get mad at those who bring it up. Well, no, I think you're absolutely right. There's an expression, you know, the people are like, look through the world through rose-colored glasses and like you know they're they're pollyannish they're just seeing the good and refusing to see the the problems yeah i mean like look at like you know just even even without climate change i mean like you've got like about two billion people on our planet that don't have like you know um enough to eat that you know a lot of them don't have access to safe drinking water their their plight is really you know difficult Yet we, we refuse to look at it, you know. So, yeah, you're right. It's the hedonic. I mean, it's because we're seeking pleasure. But it's not just that. It's that, like, 
we're not good at happiness. If, it, if we were much better at happiness, yeah, we could then afford to look at, at the problems in our lives and in our world and take the time to address them, you know, and face them. But I think it's just the fact that, you know, that people are only just marginally happy, so many of them, that, you know, they, they just like the thought of just enduring more, um, more suffering, they, 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 they can't deal with it, yeah. Yeah, you know, this is, this is important because people aren't very good at happiness. They don't know how to be happy, except that they figured out that, like, for a lot of them, they find that drinking alcohol um, makes them temporarily happy, which it probably explains why they keep doing that, you know. Um, and, and the same is true with any sort of drug or activity, because... I guess any pleasurable activity, including people having sex, makes them happy while they're doing it, which then that means that their happiness depends on their ability to do a certain activity. And that can be problematic when they can no longer do that certain activity that brings them their happiness. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some kind of like pleasures in life that maybe we can safely enjoy, like, like you know, eating with others or something, because, you know, we have to eat any, anyhow to survive. So, you know, maybe good food or something, or, or just being around people, you know, makes people happy. And that's kind of an activity that, like, yeah, sure, you might develop a dependency on it, but, like, you know, fortunately for a lot of people, that you know, they live with others and they have other people in their life. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, that you're right. I mean, ideally, you know, we would learn how to and cultivate the uh the skill of being happy simply because it feels good you know for no other reason and then just like enjoy these other things without developing a dependency on them yeah like you know we, we in one of our impersonal opinion episodes you talked about the idea that you could focus on the feeling of happiness and access it directly somehow oh yeah as a matter of fact i've been like over the last, you know, here's, here's my technique now. Um, and I've used it in the past. I don't know why I stopped using it, but I'm using it now again. It's basically I, I record a, uh, an audio file. Um, I've got several, but one of them says, I'm saying to myself, I feel completely happy. Okay, so I might record it for five minutes, right? Then I'll loop it uh, several times. So basically I create a three-hour file, audio file. Then I put it into my MP3 player. And when I'm walking through town, sometimes when I'm doing chores here in my apartment, doing the dishes, folding laundry, I will listen to that, you know, file of me saying to myself, I feel completely happy. And the other thing that I'll do while I'm, I'm doing that is just very, you know, subtly smile, have a pleasant facial uh, expression. Um, that just those two things are so powerful that those are pretty much the only things I do you know, directly to, um, to work on my happiness, and they are extremely powerful. Happiness is so easy. Wow, yeah, and you know, what's interesting is that, um, for me, it, it'll, it'll be, you know, I'll be listening to music, there'll be some kind of music that I'll, I'll like dance to or just listen to while I'm doing other things, and it cheers me up, and it's really kind of, it's really kind of interesting how that works, but with me, it's not so much words 
Um, like, you know, because that doesn't mean as much to me. I'm actually not a verbal person. It's sort of something I've had to learn how to overcome in order to do podcasts and work at my job. But for me, just listening to some kind of instrumental music or just focusing on the instrumental part of a, a song and ignoring the lyrics often works. And I have all sorts of video game tunes through my head, and it makes me happy, you know. And that's what I what I like about it. So, but so there's something about music that can make somebody happy too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And music, I mean, you know, it just like that. That's why it's so popular. It's like you know something about it. Just I don't know the physiology and the neurophysiology of it, but it just makes us feel good. Oh yeah. Yeah, and what's great is that especially if you're a person who does live in these modern times and you've got you've got a an MP3 player of some type and anybody who's got a computer, you know, yeah, you, music is so easy to find that you can find just about anything, you know, and so that's very helpful too. So what we've got to do is we've got to find a way to make people happy because that will... Um, solve that will actually solve the violence problem more so than just focusing on the negative aspects Chandler making people I mean like I talk with Nick about this all the time because we we constantly on especially on the Manhattan show we 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 say like this is the biggest thing ever the biggest revolution in, in human thought you know the, the Searle quote and all but then we have to acknowledge if somebody figures out a way to, to make this, to get people to become much happier, that will solve so many problems. I mean, and like once that's done, you know, like that's it, you know. I mean, if, if people like the average level of happiness here in the United States is about 70, 70%. If people were like, you know, the vast majority of people were like, let's say 95% happy or happier, imagine the kind of world we live in. Imagine the kinds of problems that we have now that we would no longer have because people wouldn't be doing, for example, like people overeat to, to try to become happier. People drink too much and do you know, too much drugs to become happier. People like just do a lot of immoral behavior to, to, to become happier. If people were happier, you know, people would be so much better behaved and that would eliminate so many problems. Yeah, you know, and this is very important. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I think happiness is kind of the big focus. Now, I do think that obviously, like we mentioned earlier in this episode, you know, um, when you stop believing in free will and you, and you understand, you know, our causal will and all that, that does help you become happier because you've just eliminated the blame, the guilt, the shame, the revenge, and all those negative aspects. So that's definitely a first step. But then, what, like, what do you think, like, once, like, say everybody gets that, what do you think is the most effective way that we can increase happiness worldwide? Well, I mean, like, I think if, if, if the pharmaceuticals would pump, you know, several billion dollars into the research, I think, uh, um, you know, uh, a pill, a happiness pill would probably be the easiest way. Again, they would have to make it safe. They would have to pretty much make it safe, as safe as vitamins. But that would be the most direct way. But like, aside from that, a more natural way, for example, something so simple. Let's say 
you know, we're taught generally to walk around with good posture, not to slump. We're taught to sit up in our chairs and stuff. And interestingly, there's experiments in psychology that demonstrate that that's an effective way to boost one's mood. When one's, you know, standing up straight, you feel better. Now, if, if to that posture, we would add just one more element, that if people went around with a pleasant, not a, not a wide open mouth, you know, teeth bared, kind of like a smile, but a pleasant smile, kind of like maybe like a Mona Lisa smile or a bit stronger. If people walked around with that kind of expression, you know, I guarantee, you know, the, the world would be so much happier just, just for that. But, but aside from that, you know, Aristotle said happiness is the highest good. It's the, the only end in life and everything else is a means. So like, you know, the, the thing is happiness is a skill, whether it's, whether it's smiling, whether it's like listening to tapes or, or listening to music or meditating, you know, the, 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 if people would just recognize that happiness is a skill that they can get much, much better at and the whole, whole world could get better at if we work together, then yeah, I think that would, you know, that would be the most powerful and simple natural way to, to, to make this world just completely blissful, really. I'm not, I'm not sure there, there, there's that much of a limit to how happy we'd become if we'd just work on it. Yeah, um, this is powerful because it does seem, I mean, depression is enough to kill. You know, when people get very, very unhappy, um, that's enough for them to feel like life is worthless and then they kill themselves. And so this is serious. I mean, this is something that we really need to focus on more. Um, like, Jamie, what do you think? Uh, could you repeat that, please? Oh, yeah. You know, we were talking about, you know, how happier people, they're going to feel like life is worth living more. When people are really unhappy, they're depressed, you know, and then they kill themselves. So it, this is a matter of life or death. Of course it is. Um, if you're pro-life and you believe all life is sacred, then you'll want to do anything uh, to combat things that make people unhappy. Yeah, and so this is the big, this is the big challenge because, you know, um, like, I want people to be happy. I just, I don't want it to be like an ignorant happy, like, you know, the ignorance is bliss thing. Let's not ever acknowledge that there's problems in the world. But there's got to be a way for us to say that, yes, there's problems in the world, but there's a way for us to be happy anyway and we and we can still we can that will actually help us to reduce the suffering in the world yeah what you know what people what most people don't realize is happiness is like energy the happier one is the more able one is generally to to look at the problems in their lives and to take steps toward you know toward resolving them to really you know when a person's happy or, you know, the person will just like want to do more, you know, like a lot of times like, um, yeah, like, for example, like I will wait until I'm in a really good mood to, let's say, straighten up my apartment. Right. Because like you know, then I do it and it feels really great and all, I, you know, so the happier we become, the less onerous, less burdensome the the work we have to do becomes and you know it's like people would be happy not just when they're you know at home and with friends and stuff and family people people could be really happy while they're working you know every single day yeah that that's a very important thing um 
because I mean, and here's another thing to bring it back to the religion thing for a moment is now people their entire motivation for their religion is to experience you know bliss or nirvana paradise heaven whatever they're they're trying to seek pleasure through their religion but i don't i mean i don't think that's an effective method it i think it it's more important for us to learn how to be happy now well that's one of the major problems religion has kind of like two problems related to that one is too many religions say well suffer now and you'll be rewarded after you die in heaven. So you have a lot of martyrs going around, a lot of people suffering just to get into heaven, just unnecessarily suffering. And the other major problem with religion is that it's focused too exclusively on goodness without you know, enough cognizance of, of the realization that goodness is about happiness. In other words, you're told to be good you know, in religions but you're not told that, like, it's, you know, it's by being good in this world before you die that you can become much happier. That, you know, like John Locke, a British philosopher, he defined goodness as that which creates happiness. So it's good to be moral in, because morality helps us all to become happier. But religion rarely, you know, there may be some people like Joel Olstein, whatever, some people who get into that stuff for, for the vast majority of, of clerics and of religions. They're just completely focused on the goodness and with, with very little regard for the happiness of people in, the, in this life. Well, what's interesting is it seems like these religions and some of these people in them, they believe that goodness is something entirely separate from happiness. Is that... That's a great point, Chandler. You won't expand on that, absolutely. Yeah, they seem to have this idea that... It, there are certain things that are good to do, and they almost sometimes the way they act is that the more miserable you are, the more you're doing the right thing. Oh yeah, because I, th I think like in, uh, what's part of a lot of religions is like they don't they don't necessarily agree with or accept John Locke's definition of goodness. They simply you know they leave it at well what God tells us to do that's good, and what He tells us not to do that's bad. And they leave it at that. So they completely miss the point of goodness. Right. And I think that that can be, um, I mean, I find that to be problematic that, you know, divine command theory, because that's like um, somebody can make that mistake because somebody could do that with their parents or with some other authority figure or anybody. They could, as soon as they set up some person's words as the standard of what's good or bad, well, then they, um, then you know, they could be told to do something like, um, like I don't know, go and kill a bunch of people, or go and torture a bunch of people, and and, bur and burn them, or you know what I mean? They could be told to do something that causes a lot of pain, but it would be defined as good just because somebody said it. Yeah, like look like a lot of like Islamic terrorists, you know they. You know, they, they were looking forward to 72 virgins when they died because, like, you know, somewhere in the Quran it says that, you know, the doing what, whatever will, will, you know, grant them that. And it's, what do they want 72 virgins for anyway? <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's, it's weird. I, I never understood that. But here's the deal. It's hard enough keeping one person, one woman happy. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's it's weird, but it doesn't that show you that it is really pleasure that they're seeking to begin with. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, because. There's always the idea, you know, and I, and I don't know the Islamic side of it, but with the Christian side, you know, people are told, well, heaven, there's no more tears in heaven. Everyone will be happy. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. And so everyone will be happy. So it's about a place where there's no pain. It's about it all being all good. So here's the deal. Everything that somebody does, including those things which they believe God has commanded them to do. They may hate doing it, but it may cause them great pain, but it's always about because they believe it will give them more pleasure later on. So this shows that they're always following the hedonic imperative. Whatever they believe will give them the most pleasure. Yeah, and Chandler, that's also a problem, you know, in secular life. People postpone their happiness. People say to themselves, oh, yeah, when I get this advanced degree, I'll be happy. When I get married, I'll be happy. When I get that job, I'll be happy. When I get that promotion, when I retire, I'll be happy. You know, like, and no, happiness is, is you know, sometimes, yes, sometimes you, you work hard and you arrive at your goal, let's say getting married or, you know, some kind of job. And that, that you know, sometimes does lead to lasting happiness. But much more often than not, a lot of times people suffer unnecessarily you know, during the years that it might take to, to achieve these goals. And then they find once they've achieved these goals, you know, depending on the goal, but a lot, of, a lot of things we strive for, you know, like, for example, amassing a huge amount of money or something, people say, oh, yeah, when I, when I make all this money, I'm going to be really, really happy. According to the research, we've understood this for decades. No, you know, basically, like, making that much more money is not going to make people happier. Um, you know, an advanced degree is not, a person's not going to be more happy with a PhD than they were with a, a bachelor's, you know. I mean, like, so, but people don't understand this. That, that's why the science of happiness is so important, because, like, after 50, 60 years of research, they've begun to, to understand this stuff. And, yeah, so, like, happiness, you know, is something to be experienced moment by moment. It's not something you want to, like, ordinarily, in general, postpone to an indefinite future. Yeah, because I think what happens is that if people are always postponing their happiness and thinking, well, I'll be happy or, you know, when I have more money or, or you know, or whatever, um, then they will keep postponing it. And then event before you know it, they're dead and they never were happy. <laughs> Absolutely. That happens when people like wait to retire to enjoy their lives. Yeah, they develop an early illness and it's over. I know. Yeah, so it so why postpone um, something um, to some unknown time when it might just never happen then? I hear you. Yeah, so yeah, I mean this is very important, um, and it's kind of weird. Um, and let's see now, do you, like so yeah, um, if people are happier in general, then it will per, perhaps it will decrease their reliance on drugs and alcohol. It will de decrease their their need for even food because like they won't be trying to eat more to be happier necessarily i once was talking to a a, a med student at a at a coffee shop here and like i asked i asked this this person i asked her like you know i kind of like speculate like i now i asked her about one what percent of illnesses uh did she think was caused 
by people seeking happiness in ways that that weren't healthy like you know drinking too much and eating too much and and so many other behaviors like that and i think she she said something like well about you know at least 50% so think about that think about how much we would save in healthcare costs think about how much healthier everybody would be if they would stop if they would become happier and no longer have to resort to these unhealthy risky behaviors you know to to find their happiness in, in these you know very unwise ways yeah um and here's something else that i'm kind of wondering another thing that people do is like for example they like scary things and they watch horror movies and i've never understood this but for some reason a lot of people they get some kind of thrill out of that some kind of chemical addiction to that and i don't i don't know how that works but um I was just kind of thinking about that recently because, you know, today is Halloween and so many people are celebrating dead, scary things. I know. It's a, and it's like, it's not just the, the, the horror films and stuff. It's, it's also like the, 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 the crime dramas on TV and all. People like just, you know, hurting each other, killing each other, you know, just, ah. Um, Chandler, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I have, I, I, I don't understand. I'd like to actually, you know, because I've, I've had this question, you know, on my mind for, for decades. And, and I'm wondering if somebody's written a, a good book on this that explains, you know, why people could like, in my mind, for example, like I have a, peop I have a feeling a lot of people are paranoid. I have a feeling a lot of people live in fear of other people, you know, fear of being robbed, fear of being hurt and stuff. And I have a feeling those fears come from all this, you know, horrible, like, drama that they watch of people hurting each other. You know, I have a feeling people have no idea how harmful that stuff is. Well, yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, that could be making people unhappy right there. And here's what's interesting about it, is that I generally, I mean, I dislike violence, you know. The most violence I've, I've ever seen, you know, was like in the documentary Earthlings, for example. You know, just seeing the violence done to these animals. But then, you know, um, but then you like, you know, there will be some kind of movie that ends up popular, such as um, The Hunger Games or, or The Passion of the Christ, which for some reason was one of the, apparently it's a very, was a very popular selling movie. But I'm not exactly sure why, because it was the bloodiest film of all time. Yeah, well, actually, I walked out on the, the, the Passion of Christ because, like, you know, after a while, I said, what is this? You know, it was, it was just like, oh, it was torturous. And then, like, I, I, I've heard that The Hunger Games is a great movie, but I refuse to see it because, like, you know, the theme, I don't want to see people, you know, killing each other for sport. Yeah, it, it's really it's really frustrating because, yeah, I mean, I, I can't really stand it. Um, and so, yeah. And so I wonder, cause, I mean, yeah, I, I would like to understand, genuinely would like to understand why people, they want to watch violent things um, because it's not pleasant. Be, and that could be a major source of, un, of unhappiness there is getting them all depressed because I think that that causes nightmares. I wouldn't doubt it. Recently I got curious and I downloaded a Kindle book on Schadenfreude. Um, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right, right, but it's basically the, um, the idea of people like taking pleasure 
at the pain of other people. You know, when 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 I guess, and that that maybe explains these these um these crime dramas and these horror things. So when somebody sees somebody else having it much worse than them, you know, really you know suffering for some sick reason because it really is sick, it makes them feel better. That seems weird to me. I guess there are some people um, that get pleasure out of that. For example, you know, people who laugh like. Um, like there was an episode of America's Funniest Home Videos my mom and I saw on TV years ago. And, you know, whenever, whenever there was some video of some guy getting hurt in the balls, you know, then the audience laughed like it was funny. And I'm like, what's so funny about somebody being hurt? I know, I know. And, you know, then you got to wonder, because, like, this isn't, like, this isn't natural to human beings. Like, you know, infants and toddlers don't, don't naturally develop to enjoy when other infants and exactly it's a, as a matter of fact it's exact opposite you know you know toddlers are naturally empathic they basically you know when 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 another toddler is hurting they will feel bad so like this this sick pleasure at other people's pain this is something that's part of our world culture it's not just here in the united states or the rich countries i think it's probably throughout a lot of the world and, you know, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if somebody kind of like, you know, has, has studied that and published on that. What explains it? Why, why, you know, how did that develop? What you're, so what you think maybe is that it's something we have to be taught because we're not born that way. I think so. I think so. Um, you know, Mary, you know, I don't know how popular fairy tales are, like, like Grimm's fairy tales where, you know, just a lot of like unkind things happen, you know, like a Little Red Riding, Riding Hood, you know, like Hansel and Gretel, kids being put in an oven, all that stuff, whatever. You know, I mean, like this is like sick stuff. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, and you know, and you, you 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 read these stories to very little kids. I don't get it. Yeah, I I never understood that kind of thing either. And see, here's what's weird as is for me. Um, the the most gruesome things I grew up hearing were, you know, were, you know, the animal sacrifices in the Bible and, and the flood of Genesis 6 and those stories. My mom used to read those Bible stories to me. And I mean, that traumatized me, you know, these awful stories of all this suffering. And so that was basically the sort of fairy tales that I was exposed to. And which is why I have such a, an antipathy towards it now, you might say. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And then sometimes, like, those of us who are unfortunately more intelligent, you know, we're more sensitive to this stuff. We we more naturally understand how wrong it is, how immoral it is. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's weird. I mean, of course, and as we know, we don't have a free will. Um, everything that we think, you know, comes from something in our past, either experience or there's some way for some reason. Your favorite color is blue and you just can't stop it being blue. That was Felicia Hogan's problem. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and again, so like, you know, and this, see, here's the thing. This is another reason why the free will topic is so important to the world. As long as we continue to believe in free will, we will continue to believe that we human beings are the source of our problems. So like, you know, if, if, we're, if we're looking to human beings as the source of our problems, when the problem, you know, in a certain sense lies outside of us, that may be preventing us from, from finding more fundamental truths. I mean, yeah. certainly, yeah, certainly we have to address like, you know, like human happiness. I mean, you know, 
but but yeah there's like for example if we're not responsible for the evil in the world what is i mean like you know um for the for this whole everything it's just like you know the the free will belief has us look for answers to things with human beings you know in human beings where the answer you know has to lie elsewhere yeah and here's what's interesting is that basically um well here's what's very bizarre about it george now what you'll notice is that theists and atheists for the most part both have this problem um because both groups have such strong free will belief in the majority of them so here's what's weird is now from the secular side people think oh humans are have free will you know so many of them still believe that and so they think well whenever human uh, humans are having a bad life there are some humans who are to blame either the person themselves or other people um but then here's what's really weird is from the religious side of things they still place all the blame on humans instead of but they never blame god which is weird because supposedly everything that happens is god's will if god's all-powerful really and can do anything like they you know they claim that's their claim anyway i know that's that's you're right that's exactly it in other words like the free will belief you know like and 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 it's weird we've talked about this before it's contradictory because when some something good happens they'll say well that's you know god did that or if we do something good it's not us god allowed us to do it or god enabled us to do it but you're right i mean like when when we do bad you know it's always us instead of god well yeah and i have noticed like that i nick vale calls that free will flip-flopping doesn't he <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the the idea and here's what's weird about it like yeah this idea um well and just like people of course you know uh, theists do that with God, but then humans do that with other humans all the time. They say that, but they do it kind of in a reverse thing. Whenever I do something good, it's because I chose to do good because I'm great. But when somebody else does something bad, well, it's it then um, it's or, or or even if the person themselves does bad, then it's still somebody else's fault that they did bad. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So That's they so they do their own free will flip flopping there. But it's still a weird thing because they're trying to say, well, this thing here is all good. They're either de declaring that God is all good or they are declaring that themselves, that they're all good. Therefore, anything that goes wrong in their lives is some other human's fault. So here's what's weird about it is that we've got a problem because now there seems to – a lot of people, they know there's a conflict and so they, so they say, well – Stop blaming other people and take responsibility for your own actions and your choices because you're to credit and to blame. But that requires a free will belief, you know, because the truth is that we're not really to blame and neither are any of the other humans either. And a lot of people have a really hard time with that idea that no one is truly to blame. I know. And, and just, just, I mean, like imagine a world without blame. You know, where, where no one, again, can logically, rationally blame anyone else or themselves for anything. I mean, that's got to be a very, very pleasant world. 
You know, because think of, think of like, you know, like when little kids do something wrong, as little kids always do, because they don't know any better because, you know, various reasons, you know, they get blamed and they get punished and they get hurt and stuff. And, the, you know, I think at a certain level, maybe little kids just get it. You know, they really object to being punished because they don't understand, you know, I think on a certain, in a certain sense, they get that what they do isn't up to them, that they, they get that they didn't know any better, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And I do find that weird, and this is, I mean, this is kind of another controversial thing, but I actually don't believe in spanking. Like, I don't really think that that's a, a good thing, um, because it seems like all that does, it teaches the kid, well, if, if I do certain things, or say certain things or whatever, well, then my parent is going to hurt me. You know, that seems to be what the message it sends, but it doesn't actually teach them anything. It, it, it may modify their behavior, but at a certain point, they're going to grow up, they're going to become an adult, and then their, their, their idea is, well, as long as nobody is hurting me for something, I must be doing the right thing. No, you're right. That's, that's why I'm, I'm really interested to, you know, we should do a podcast soon with Mitch kind of presenting in much more detail his idea of a world without punishment. Because, you know, um, when he first presented it to me, I kind of like, I couldn't get it at all. I, I, you know, I couldn't see how, like, especially with very young kids, that would work. But the more I think about it, the more I think, yeah, I think that, you know, not only will it work, but like, you know, 50, 100 years from now, that's the way the world will be. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea for a future episode. And I think Mitch will, will like um, doing that. So, yeah, because, I mean, yeah, th I mean, this episode was great because, I mean, we talked about, we talked a lot about happiness, actually. That wasn't, that wasn't what, how I planned it, of course. Um, but we, you know, but we've come to the conclusion sort of that, you know, happier people do less harmful things. Yeah, we should probably talk about happiness much more <clears throat> because, as we were talking about before, the more we get it, the happier we'll be and the happier, you know, the happier the world is, the, the fewer problems we have, you know, the, the, the much better everything is. Yeah, and, that, and that's good because for too long I felt like that I can't be happy until all the problems in the world are solved. And, oh, I know, I know. I, I went through decades like that, I hear you. Yeah, and I don't want to waste decades of my, my life being unhappy while I'm waiting for the whole world to go vegan, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's, there's an expression that the, the perfect is the enemy of the good. To the extent that we, we kind of like been, bemoan, and like, you know, certainly animal abuse, there's a lot of wrongs in the, in the world that we should be, you know, working to end. But what, what we need to keep in mind is that we can work on them. Not only can we work on them, but we could probably succeed and, and, and further our efforts much more by maintaining our happiness uh, than by becoming sad and then just like losing our energy and our willpower. You know, happiness is an energy. We want to do good in the world. Happiness is the way to do it. Yeah, I think that's good. So let's see. I think that's a good place to end this episode. Um... You've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with Chandler Klebs, George Ortega, and Jamie Soden. And we, you know, we talked a lot about happiness and we talked about, you know, the hedonic imperative, how people seek pleasure and avoid pain and, you know, happiness being the highest good and how 
this could be a way where we could reduce the problems in the world by increasing people's happiness. So we'll be exploring this and other topics in future episodes. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.